Moonies, welcome to the Sailor Moon Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria L. Johnson, and I'm here with Ashley Griffin, aka Multifaceted ACG. And she's the part owner and creative director of MathG Productions. She's a YouTuber. She's also a host of a, the An Album a Day podcast. And she's a writer with a focus on K-pop commentary. And of course, she is a Sailor Moon fan. So I'm super happy to have her on the show. Um, hey, Ashley, how you doing? Hey there. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, so the first question I ask everyone is, what's your first memory of watching Sailor Moon? Oh, man. Um, my first memory of watching Sailor Moon, I was certainly a sixth grader growing up in Detroit, Michigan. And I just remember coming from lunch break, actually, and they had a video on in the cafeteria. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was a girl spinning around with a wand in her hand and she was changing clothes. And I was so excited. So I asked my uh, my classmates and they're like, that's Sailor Moon. Like, you don't know. And I'm like, no, I have no idea. So they told me what time it came on on local television um, so I could watch it. And I just I got sucked in. So I was a young girl, but it was really, really exciting to me. Yeah, that's so cool. I I'm. I've never heard of a school playing Sailor Moon before, so that's really exciting to know that was happening in some places. I think they were just trying to find something for us to to be entertained mm-hmm. with because I, I went to a a specialty middle school that had a very uh, a very different system from the rest of the Detroit public school system. Which I mean, even now at this point in time, it's not even called DPS anymore. It has a whole different name, but there was a lot of freedom and flexibility around our schedules to be able to experience some cool stuff. And honest to goodness, if it was not for that one moment, I would have not known. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so cool. I'm always really hyped to hear about people who came to Sailor Moon outside of like Toonami, just because like, it's just an interesting journey. Yeah, and I I had no idea that I had no idea it was Japanese, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. because in those days, the chances of you getting your hands on a a sub versus dubbed was extremely limited. I knew Dragon Ball Z was because that's what was around when I was a kid, but right. I had no idea Sailor Moon was still within the same uh, arm of that. So it was really, really interesting for me many, many years later as a grown woman, finally watching the original episodes. And I'm like, yo, this is way different than how I understood it. This is far different from what it is in the manga. Like, it was a whole new world all over again. Right. Yeah, I can only imagine. What? How did that feel? Like, what differences did you mo- notice immediately? Um, man, uh... First off, the nostalgia, just the nostalgia of being able to identify aspects of it that I remembered as a kid. I didn't remember compared to the the Japanese anime, how the one that has the actual Japanese language in use, uh, the way that they introduced each character. I didn't remember that, but the the whole process of it all and just the the energy of it it was really really interesting for me i jumped back into it right around the time that the original pokemon from when i was a kid started re-airing again and um both of them just it was a lot of moments of just joyful tears because it's so exciting to see something from your childhood still have so much energy behind it while you're an adult 
and right. to see all these new fans or people who I didn't even know were fans, like losing their minds about it on social media. It was a really, really cool moment. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, and did you have a favorite Sailor Scout you wanted to be? Oh, man, my, my sailor is Sailor Mars. Yeah. <laughs> she is my absolute favorite. Um, Something about Ray just, oh, man, she's just so freaking cool. And red's my favorite color. She had on red. She was the only one who had on high heels when I was a sixth grader. And I'm like, what is this? Who's this big girl with these heels on? She was red so solid and confident in herself. I really wanted to be her. I really did. Yeah, those red pumps are iconic. I know. And I, I think the um the creator Nicole Taiuchi has said too that that's like one of her favorite looks, like those shoes. Like she's like, I want those shoes. And the cool thing about it, I didn't find it out until years later when I started actually trying to learn more about the Japanese language. And mm-hmm. her name, Haino Ray, means like fire-filled array. Like she literally, her name is fiery. So it's just, oh my gosh, she's just so freaking dope. And she was the big sister of all of them for the most part. No, she's not the chosen one who's called to protect everyone. She's not Sailor Moon, but mm-hmm. she's still the big sister role. And in my circle of friends, I usually assume that role too. So it's really cool. She's just so badass to me. Yeah. Yeah, she is pretty badass. Sailor Mars is awesome. Um, And then, so now you have a company, you have a YouTube channel, you are doing a lot. (laughs) How did Multifaceted ACG come about? Well, Multifaceted ACG, that whole hodgepodge of a name, it really is my name. It's the word multifaceted and then my initials for my my government name. (laughs) Hmm. But I've always been heavily involved in a lot of different things at at different times in life. And when that name kind of got dropped on me by choice of YouTube handle, I was newly living in uh, Houston, Texas. I was born here, but I grew up in the D. And I've lived in a lot of other states and things of that sort. But I had just moved to Houston, Texas, and I decided I wanted to do this whole YouTube thing. Because at the time, YouTube was, what, maybe four five years old like that sounds so weird to say that let me wait let me double check when was youtube founded oh gosh i think <laughs> it was, was such a throwback let's see youtube founding like 2005 because now i want to horrify myself with the math i know i always think about that like i remember youtube when youtube was new and i was in high school and it was so new that it was one of the sites they hadn't blocked yet yeah because you know they would block like you know social media sites like they think they blocked myspace but they didn't block youtube yet so we would like watch like family guy clips oh my <laughs> god! So youtube was founded valentine's day 2005 and i got on there mm. January of 2013 so it wasn't that that old that's so strange it wasn't that old yet but my Mm -hmm. initial plan was to get on there and just do vlogging just talk about what was going on in the news and kind of bond with people in that way and then I got heavily heavily sucked into k-pop um October the the year prior and mm-hmm. it just became my thing. I started as a, a music video reactor, so I was an MV reactor. And then I got heavily invested in GOT7, so I started creating content that was around them. And I've done KCON panels. I've done other exhibits and uh, 
conferences around the country talking about it from the area of music production and, and uh, songwriting to cultural misappropriation to any and everything in between. I've done consulting for films and TV shows about it. I've been a ambassador reporter in South Korea. So there's a lot of unexpected uh, energy of that, that confidence that had I not even thought about it until I found out about this great podcast, a lot of it reminds me of Ray. Like she knew what her role was and she knew what she needed to bring to the table in terms of contributing to the the dojo that she is a part of and being involved in everything that's going on as a as a sailor soldier like it's just it's crazy to see that that same fiery energy that she had that I admired so much from her now I get to do it in my work yeah and I think the same thing like you know you talk about like being multifaceted like you obviously like are like working through all these different avenues and like the things you care about but also that's the thing i love about together moon is how the characters are like multifaceted as well like they love multiple things they care about multiple things they um are interested in multiple things you know they have you know different aspects of personality i use sailor jupiter a lot as an example because she's yeah. like the tomboy but she loves to cook and then it's like she also has the soft side because she like likes boys but also you know she's really tough and it just yeah and like, that's perfect that you said that how Sailor Jupiter has, you know, her balance, the things that she does in servitude, but the things that she also does as a as a sailor, like for Ray, Ray was like huge on pop culture, like she really loved it. And she loved music and music is my passion. It's my absolute passion. She played the guitar and I think maybe the piano and I can't play the piano or the guitar naturally I have to do it with computers because I produce music that way so just the parallels that not necessarily parallels that's a, that's a bit of a reach but just the similarities are really exciting to me that a, a female character when I was very young and extremely impressionable had such an impact on me that even to this day as a grown woman I mean solidly grown I'm in my mid-30s as <laughs> a grown woman <laughs> I can still look at that character and be like, man, like, I still want to be like her. And she's a teenager. So it's it's really cool that those similarities are there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the one thing, like, um, Teuchi made very impressionable characters that we can all, like, kind of look up to still, even as we get older. I agree. Oh. I really do. And it's just a lot of foresight. Like, like being... 53 is she 53 now yeah like she's like 50 early 50s maybe lord have mercy i'm not so, completely yeah. certain but just to have that much of a, a understanding of the characters that she created and how they mm -hmm. have really stood the test of time there's hundreds and hundreds of manga and and anime and there's a multitude of artists but she really created something that has withstood decades and that that longevity is something that that everybody wishes for when you create something when it's when it's art you want it to be around for many generations to appreciate so she really she really did a, a number on a global scale in terms of impact yeah totally 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 it's very admirable 
And so you mentioned your favorite K-pop group is Seven, I think. Got Seven. Yeah, they're... Got Seven. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> they're my babies. Um, yeah. I've been a fan of them since pre-debut. They were on a competition show that allowed you to meet some of the members, but I am a multi-fan. I do listen to quite a bit as well as celebrate everybody's successes but got seven is like my super big deal group yeah. i'm also known for liking nct a lot i say i'm their 25th member because there's so many of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i do i do enjoy it i um i have seen i i wouldn't say attended because that's not quite right because mm. some things i go to or festivals or whatnot there's multiple people but i've seen well over a hundred uh korean pop acts uh in the past seven years like all over all over the united states everywhere in korea so mm -hmm. a big music head yeah that's cool and how long were you in korea i was there for two years um from september of 2017 until october of 2019 and i am back stateside to finish graduate school then i'm going back over there oh wow you really loved it then. Yeah, it had a when when I man when I came across K dramas and K pop in 2012, there was absolutely no way you could not have told me just a day before that I was gonna fall into all of this stuff and it was gonna change my mm -hmm. life to the point where I'm living over there. I would have never believed it, but I definitely do value the experiences I had over there and um, the accessibility to the kind of lifestyle I want to live. So it's a right. good fit for me. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually, I was actually there when you were there, which is oh, funny. Wow, oh my God. I wish so we knew cool. each other. What area was, were you in? Oh gosh. Where were we? Um, I forgot where we stayed, but we stayed in Seoul for, it was me and my friend. We stayed in Seoul for like a few days. And then we went to Busan um, near Hyundai Beach. Yeah. Hyundai. We <laughs> yeah. And then um, we went to Jeju Island for um, a few days and then back to Seoul. And then I forgot where we stayed, though. I feel so bad. I feel messed up. But it's we so many places. Just those so general many. markers help so much. But that's awesome that you got yeah. the experience. Hey, on day, it's nothing like that eclectic oh, area at all. And Jeju is so it. beautiful. I lived in Daegu. I lived in an area where, yeah, they speak English, but you better know some Korean. So I spent all my time in Daegu, but I definitely had work on weekends in Seoul. Uh, mm -hmm. those, all of the foreigners there, we pretty much take our vacation time around the same time. So Busan is the place. But I mm -hmm. also went to parts of Tokyo while I was there. Um, it was really important to me to go to the Pokemon Center because I was a young girl when the first Pokemon Center was ever built and it's it's been a dream of mine since I was a kid to experience mm -hmm. it so I did get to go to a Pokemon Center and I went insane with excitement over that I didn't get to see <laughs> too much Sailor Moon stuff but I got to stop mm -hmm. by some of the places associated with some of my other favorite anime so I, I really enjoyed the experience while I was over there and I'm hopeful to get back there within three years. Yeah, I was, um, so we, during that trip, this was in, I think, September 2017, um, we dipped over to Japan for four days, too, since we were there. We are like, let's just take it's advantage so of <laughs> this long flight. To it's so futuristic. And also, but I was also disappointed that I didn't see as much Sailor Moon stuff over there. I was expecting to see it everywhere, but. I agree. Um, 
it made sense. One of my friends who lives there mentioned, he was like, you know, it's older, like, and they have all this new anime out now. Like, that's kind of the focus. Like, that's the new thing. So, like, it made sense, like, why they wouldn't. But it was still made me really sad. I totally agree with you because it's, it's one of the best ones of all time. And that's not the fangirl in me saying that. Like, statistically right. speaking, it's it's invincible, dude. You're always going to find mm-hmm. someone at some convention who is dressed like a sailor. It's that much of a legendary anime and, and manga. So mm-hmm. it was shocking to see that. But I, I did see a lot of other stuff that was cool. I'm a big uh, mm-hmm. Sword Art Online fan. That's my yeah. absolute favorite of all time. Like the only thing that comes second is Sailor Moon. <laughs> so <laughs> Sailor Moon was my first. And then that was and then Pokemon. But no, when Sword mm-hmm. Art Online came out, that jumped straight to the to the forefront So being able to see some of that stuff around still, even though that's a few years old now, it's just, and it's, it's just so high tech, so futuristic there. And then you'll end up somewhere at a cross section and you'll see a Denny's and you're like, yo, I'm having an existential crisis. Like, why do I see Denny's here or Burger King? It's, it's so wild how the cultures have just intermingled over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that globalization is real. It's so um, real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I went to Pizza Hut in um South in Seoul and that was different. How though. was your experience with the pizza there? Pizza in Korea is so wild. <laughs> it's so different. You know, I've had really good pizza in there and I, I had really good pizza in Hay- near Hyundai Beach. Um, me and my friend, we would go there like almost every night. It was so sad and get their pizza because I'm like, why are we in South Korea eating pizza? But it's it was so, so good. good. <laughs> but um, but the pizza pizza I actually didn't like because it was um, I think they had like mayo and barbecue sauce on it and like corn, and I was just like, no, it's this, Korea. For this is you. not the pizza I know. Definitely yeah, definitely think corn is a real topping. It's right. Oh my god, yeah, I miss home. <laughs> like I'm home, home, but I do miss my other yeah. cuckoo crazy home. Yeah. What did What was your favorite thing about being there? Um, as a black woman, the safety. Now, that's mm. not coming from a space of being naive to the fact that there are some horrible things that happen all over the world, and Korean right. women experience a lot of the hardships and difficulties that. I experience here as a black woman, not to the same degree because they're not black, but likewise for me over there, not to the same degree because I'm not Korean, but I could right. be out and at any given time, no matter what, what taking a walk at 3 a.m. or 3 p.m., I felt safe, I felt secured, and that's something that in the entire 35 years of my life here, I've not had the pleasure of experiencing as an American citizen. So that was very um, was very interesting for me. And just their assumption that life is fast-paced there, for them, perhaps, for me, it was a very doable pace after living mm-hmm. in some of the places I've lived here, Detroit, Minnesota, California, and now Texas. I've lived in some of, if not the largest cities in North America, and the pace of work and demand is 
slightly comparable, but I could handle it very well over there. So it's a level of peace of mind. Although I do all these things that we mentioned and I own a company and whatnot, my my nine to five job, if you will, is I, I am an English teacher. I'm a, a certified English as a foreign or second language instructor. So I did get to Korea by teaching English, but now here back in the United States, I teach it to recent immigrants, adult immigrants. And um, just being able to be a part of the, the academia, the academic field in Korea, where there's like a 98% literacy rate and whatnot, um, there's a level of competitiveness there where, yes, you have to learn and you need to be the best, but every single teacher has a different way of cultivating that, that learning. So it was exciting for me to be a part of helping young minds learn how to think for themselves. There's a lot of hive minds in some areas of the world. I will never just sweepingly generalize and say other places. Is... No, no, no. There's a hive mind effect to a lot of different places in the world. So being a part of helping these young kiddos figure out how to make their own thoughts and own decisions for themselves was awesome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I can definitely attest to that too. Like, being in Tokyo and Seoul um, was the first time I ever felt comfortable approaching police officers for yeah, help. Yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is how it's supposed to feel. Like, I should be able to, like, go up to you and be like, oh, I need help with this thing. Or I need directions. Or I need, like, you know, whatever. And not feel like, like, am I going to be risking my so life to true. talk to this person? So true. Um, yeah. And it helped that, I mean, they don't have guns, which helps. But also just, like, I didn't feel that, like, they're going to be aggressive or, like, you know, anything towards me. It was just like, oh, I need help. Let me talk to this police officer. And I was like, wow, this is the first time I've ever felt like this. That's so real. And, you know, mm -hmm. you come back home to America and, and you share that with people and they're like, really? And it's it's such a it's such a far thing for so many of us. It's, it's so far off for so many of us. So I'm glad that you were able to have that experience. It's always nice to meet other people who have been able to go somewhere and they're like the first thing that dawned on me not just the awe and excitement of being somewhere different but the fact that I felt safe in that I felt safe to be a tourist or I, I felt safe to blend in even though skin color wise I don't blend in at all but it was it yeah. was a really good feeling yeah and I mean of course like you said like not like to diminish like obviously there's some instances of racism Absolutely. um I didn't come across too much in Seoul but definitely more in Busan where it's like a little more countryside really you had it happen in Busan I had it happen in Seoul I had it happen in Cognac really? I got left by a whole bus and wow. several taxis wow yeah wow yeah. Busan the only mm. the only thing that happened to me in Seoul but I'm I don't know if it was a racial thing but it could have been is the um I went to a club and the coat check people were really rude to me and I, I was just like, is it because I'm black or are all just rude? You know, <laughs> like, what, what's going on? But yeah, but I mean, even in, in Pusan, it wasn't, um, it wasn't bad. It was just like, a, am curious about your hair. And it was just like, uh, this is like awkward. But they were like older Korean people. So I was like, I get it. Like, but still, this is weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> so I was, it wasn't like negative. It was just, yeah just different it was just, just different, different yeah yeah and it's just like oh you don't know this is bad or like whatever but yeah um but yeah so oh yeah it's so cool to talk to people like you said that have been overseas and it's really cool that you you've not only good experience of like 
being with like everyday people like talking like teaching but also like doing like all these amazing things k-pop um what's your favorite k-drama oh man my favorite k-drama is the airs um oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a big k-drama fan because even here home in america i'm not a big tv fan music is is my everything but I do watch because it helps me now that I'm not in Korea. It helps me just to reinforce my my comprehension skills when I'm listening to the language. Mm -hmm. I can spit it out out of nowhere. But when you're not hearing something, when you're not using something like my Japanese is is gone. I can pick up on a few words here and there. um, But the things that I learned as a middle schooler when I was heavily trying to understand the language and whatnot it, it's gone mm-hmm. so i do watch k-dramas uh airs is my favorite i'm a huge fan of Emin ho so i'm currently watching the one that he's starring in on netflix and the king yeah. <laughs> i love it i just right before our recording i just mm-hmm. finished the last episode and i'm just i'm screaming inside like i really oh, i don't know why they won't let us binge it but um, <laughs> i enjoyed that mainly mm-hmm. things that have action involved are my favorites mm-hmm. i'm not a very big romantic person in any language any culture um but if it's Imeho, i always make an exception because i love him <laughs> me too <laughs> what's one of your favorites <laughs> Oh gosh, I have so many. Um, I love Emino too. Like obviously, Boys Over Flowers was my oh, first. Man. Um, City Hunter I thought was great. Um, Goblin is one of other uh, one of my favorites. Um, Love from Another Star. Um, there's another one called Two Weeks. Um, I don't know if you've heard I of it. You might like two it. Two Weeks and the like yeah. the I don't know here in America if the thumbnail for it is the same as it was in Korea, but like they always pick the most dramatic scenes for their oh, yeah. thumbnails for Netflix. I'm like, it's like Jesus. her bleeding. Yeah, I think. right. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so good though. Like it's like the level of 24 to me. Like it's just like intense, but it was so good. Um, That's dope. Yeah. Um, yeah. Iris, I also really liked. I had I had a really big K drama phase from like 2000. Not phase, I would say, because I still love K dramas. But um, but I was like heavy, more heavy into it from like 2009 to I want to say like 2013, 2014. Um, so it's funny that by the time I went to South Korea, I wasn't like as heavy into it, but like being there, I was just like, like all those feelings came back and right? I got super excited and I was like, I feel like I'm walking in a K-drama. <laughs> I actually did by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me too. Well, I didn't realize that they don't really block off like Hollywood. Okay. I, I lived and worked mm-hmm. in Hollywood and I know that for people who don't go to California, who don't go to Los Angeles. Hollywood seems like it's a destination. It's literally just two and a half blocks. But mm-hmm. I um, I was used to there being like notices on doors and things well in advance to let you know that a show or a film is recording and you can't be in that area. Korea don't care. You just come around a corner from a building and you're like, oh, snap. Like you're in the middle of a set out of nowhere. <laughs> so yeah. that was a little jolting for me. No, was it? I'm curious because I came across people who were recording a K drama, but I wasn't sure if it was like a student project or it was like a real thing because it was only like it was like a small camera crew and then like the two actors. So I'm like, is this? And it was like late at night and it was raining. It might be very real. They don't have okay. well, not always. I won't generalize and say that they don't have as many people out and about for it. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, it it legit happens where you just walk up on something and you're like, oh, I'm in the yeah. middle of something I wasn't supposed to be in the middle of. <laughs> yeah. What was the scene you saw? Or- I, it was um, it was a couple at a coffee shop, and mm. I don't know what the dialogue was or anything because I was with one of my friends and we were so startled that we were in the way that we were just like trying to shuffle off. But all I can remember, <laughs> all I can remember is. The cameras were there, they were recording, and then me and her were like, oh no, and you can hear our feet <laughs> shuffling, trying to get away, and I'm like, I wonder if, how much work they had to do to edit that out, because we were oh so God. nervous about it. Like, you don't, you don't, right. you don't want to be in somebody's stuff. That's like being in a photo, mm-hmm. and you didn't intend to photo bomb it. Like, I just, right. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I'm like, is there a K-drama out there with you in the background? <laughs> <laughs> There's a variety <laughs> show with me in the background, but really? it predominantly put my sister. My sister is also a, a YouTuber and a content creator. Uh, her mm. name is Jessica, but she's better known as The Just Life. And okay. my sister and I and a few of our friends were actually present for a filming of uh, Infinite Challenge. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. she's literally in the clips. Like, you clearly see her. They made sure to put the camera on her. So, yeah, it's it's moments like that. It's a lot of those moments that happen that are just bizarre and wild that go mm-hmm. on in my world. So, yeah. Yeah. That is really cool. I think the scene I saw was um this guy. It was a couple, again. But they were, like, I think she was about to leave. And he, like, grabbed her arm and, like, put her, pulled her into, like, a hug. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> It was. <laughs> I was like, that's that thing that happens in a lot of gay dramas. <laughs> it's, super it's so cute to see it. And then you got to stand mm-hmm. there and watch them hold that for a whole 15 count. Like, it's right. Just, it's a whole system to it all to make those moments be those moments. Yeah. After a while, it got a little awkward because I wanted to stop and be like, what's this? Like, what are you filming for? We were with my cousin who lives there. And so he speaks fluently, and I was just like, I was gonna ask him, like, can you ask them the name of this? Like, I want to watch it now. <laughs> I can be like, I saw them when I they were saw filming that when they were doing but, it. Yeah, that that right. is dope to genuinely be yeah. able to be like, I was there. Yeah, but at the same time, like, I was because it was such a small crew. I was like, maybe it might not even be like a big K drama. It might just be like a um, student film or you know something. But yeah. But that's good to know. I didn't know that they don't block off roads and stuff. So now I'm like, maybe it was an actual K-drama and I need to find it. That's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So who, you've done a bunch of interviews. Who would, what's even your favorite interview? Um, and who would be your dream interview? Oh, my, mm-hmm. um, hmm. my favorite interview would have been Miyavi because it was so brief and I had to ask exactly what I needed to ask. There was a tour that he did a few years back. He did it with uh, a group called Kiha and the Faces from Korea, who I love that group. They've disbanded. While I was living there, they disbanded. And I was wearing my shirt the day that they announced it. So (laughs) Miyavi, Ishihara, Mm -hmm. Kiha and the Faces, and then a Thailand-based band called slot machine who are basically like the freaking beatles of their country and i got to do an interview with all three of them but i was i was shook if 
beyond compare when it came to coming to Miyavi. Just the fact that he's as tall as he is and the way that I feel about music, like when you're watching that man perform, you literally feel like you just looked in on something you weren't supposed to see. It's that incredible. And he was so professional, so polite to all of us who are losing our entire minds. It was it was one of the dopest things I had ever experienced. Um, my dream interview, and I've been very vocal about it, and it had almost happened. It genuinely did almost happen by the strength of my fans. I call my fan base the Megualas. Uh, it takes my initials, and it takes uh, Koala, because I love those animals. Dogs, rabbits, and koalas are my favorite, and I just thought it would be a little rude to call them dogs. So <laughs> they <laughs> ended up bit. being koalas, which is, that's why it's my logo. But my Megualas really, really pushed for it. Um, at one point in time, I was working for K-pop stars, and we were called upon to cover GOT7's first U.S. tour. Now, this wasn't Fly, which was their genuine first concert tour. This was a showcase tour. And everyone in the office knows how I feel about them. They're like, oh, screw it. Let's call Ashley in Texas and see if she can go. Um, I almost had the interview. They ended up giving it to uh, two friends of mine. They're content creators as well. Uh, Nutty Nomads. <laughs> and they gave it oh, to I've those sets of sisters yeah. instead. Um, so I would love to interview GOT7. I know that a lot of people will have the expectation that I'm going to fangirl spaz. Prior to work, yes. Afterwards, yes. But when it comes to doing my job, my job is to give you all unique interview experiences. I don't want to ask the same questions that everybody and their mama asks. So that's my dream interview. The only thing that would combat that uh, as another dream, well, I won't say other other thing that could combat it because it's two. Got seven to the ideal. NCT, I'd be happy to interview as well. All of them. And uh, I would love to have a one-on-one with BTS Sugar. I am a huge fan of him, but it would have nothing to do with BTS as a whole. I want to talk music with that man. I want to sit in a studio session with him and just write about the vibe and help people understand that there's a method to the madness that needs to be explored from a literary side. I would love to write about that and share it with the fans. I really would. Mm. That sounds amazing. I really hope you get to do that because that sounds like something I want to read. Yeah, just to be like, whoa, when he comes in the studio, like he turns on a humidifier. So, you know, there's moisture, like just the things that you don't think about. We think of music as the final product. We don't think about the composition and the process and looking up and, you know, you went in the studio at 11 o'clock and the next time you look, it's 4 a.m. because you're you're so zoned in. I want to be there for a 24 hour experience. Yeah, that's one of the things I've always wanted to do is like sit in on any artist that I love just like for a recording studio session because I feel yeah. like it happened a lot yeah. in like the 90s and early 2000s, or even before that, like it was much more normal for journalists to kind of like spend a whole like day or week with an artist. And so that totally. would be really cool. It would be so crazy. Mm-hmm. That would be you. Um, and you do a lot of reaction videos too. What would you say makes a good reaction video? <laughs> well, when I started <laughs> with reactions, I was actually visibly in them. And uh, the misconception for the reaction community is that we make a lot of money doing this. No, we don't. We do not. And I'm actually at a point in my it sounds so lame to say career, but my career on YouTube where I've turned off my monetization for several years at this point. I make content because it allows me to connect with the fandom and it allows me to 
have something that's a little bit different from the professional side as being a digital journalist in this or being a consultant. So now what I do is I react to things that I see on Twitter and I put that on my channel instead and they're short, they're straight to the point, they're hilarious and it's over and done with. The biggest thing with a reaction, you have to be genuine. You cannot fake enthusiasm. You cannot fake the excitement to try to have something snazzy in the hopes that it's going viral. I couldn't care less. I'm genuinely that dorky about things I'm excited (laughs) about, and it has nothing to do with the YouTube camera being on or not. So the, the first thing, the first priority is authenticity never fake who you are and what you are for the sake of some views that's the most inauthentic thing you can do the second thing is not believing that you have to have particular cameras and 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 technology to get it done people will find your content if you're making content you're excited about because you're gonna share it i had my big blow up uh, by the, the work of other people. I made my content and it was fine and I was excited about sharing it with my friends and my family. Uh, after I did KCON in 2013, JRE, uh, no, 2014, I'm sorry, 2013 was my first KCON. I did KCON as a guest panel moderator in 2014 and I hadn't even been on the scene that long. I had only been a content creator for a year. He saw what I did and was kind enough to do a collaboration with me. And through that, that brought thousands of other eyes I never would have gotten. Then I did a reaction to something from the Royal Palace, which is uh, the dance crew in New Zealand. And they saw it and shared it. And then years later, my sister, who has hundreds of thousands of subscribers, even though we've been on YouTube at different intervals of time, it is her full-time work as long, uh, alongside being a photographer. This is just my platform to be goofy and silly. And she made a post one day and was like, my sister is so close to 10,000 subscribers. Show her some love and go follow her page. So my growth has always been bumped by others who see it. I don't take that kindness for uh as an advantage i i see it as people just genuinely respecting that i have fun doing what i'm doing and they feel like it was worth sharing with others yeah yeah you have over ten thousand subscribers now as you said and they do look like you're having fun there was one i watched where you were like oh, i gotta keep it down because like people are sleeping but i don't know <laughs> she's like i don't know if that's gonna work but okay it's harder than not and i'm really like when people find out how old i am they're like really you're still that excited Heck, yeah i'm still that excited mm. i have moments driving my i'm a very i'm a, a huge gratitude person i'll have moments when i'm just in my car and a certain song will come on and i'm just like dude god's giving me so much this is so awesome like yeah. That's the that's the the space that I live in and the people who watch my content, share it, click on it, leave comments, we're a community in and of ourselves and I'm ferociously protective of these these people who are protective of me. So it's it's something that I'm really grateful to do and I'm I'm grateful that MV Reacting has allowed me to be able to make all these friends around the world. Yeah. Yeah, they seem they're they always seem really fun. Um, would you ever do a mukbang? Or have I you done haven't. What I do mm-hmm. when when I'm in the mood, I'll cook some stuff and I'll do something on my my private Instagram for close family and friends. But <laughs> no, nah, I don't think I'm gonna do a mukbang because mm-hmm. I I just 
don't need anyone else to witness my love of food in that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a short woman, and all of my uh, videos, for the most part, have always been from the collarbone up. So nobody knows what I look like unless they see me at a convention. They're like, dude, you got like a bodybuilder's body. Not on purpose. I'm pretty stacked, but if you see how I eat, I don't want people to have the arsenal to start saying, oh, my gosh, maybe you shouldn't eat so much. You might get fat. That's none of your business if I get big or not. So, right. no, I don't I don't want to do a mukbang, but I do enjoy watching them. Everything looks so good. <laughs> they do look so good. I'll be like, oh, you right? got all my favorite food. And then, foods. like, how do you eat all of that? And, like, first off, the fact that I have tuned in to watch you eat for 20 minutes is insane. And then, secondly, you order up all that food and it's not a leftover in sight like where is it going like (laughs) i don't understand yeah yeah i don't me neither but somehow it's it's entertaining i'm not gonna knock it um they seem like it'd be fun though but yeah i i could see that how would kind of open up to commentary that's unwanted because everything anyone does on the internet somehow is open to commentary. I'm always unwanted. open to commentary. And I'm, I'm very yeah. confident in my body. I do enjoy working out and all of that. And I've got no qualms about it. I don't care if somebody is big, small, skinny, tall. I couldn't care less. But there's already enough to contend with. So I don't want to bring that on myself. Yeah. That is fair. And fine, yeah. Um, do you have any advice for anyone who wants to start become a YouTuber or start a podcast? <laughs> uh, for a YouTuber, don't, don't <laughs> run away now. <laughs> um, genuinely, uh, don't aspire towards making it big. It's either going to happen or it's not. It needs to be something that you're you're passionate about because it's very easy to burn out. Um, YouTube is the world's largest freelance gig economy. They never refer to it as such, but it is. So um, do it from a place of passion and do it when you feel like it. And you you can't go wrong. When it comes to podcasting, oh man, just uh, be ready to be yourself on microphone. People have to connect with the enthusiasm and the energy that they hear in your voice. There's no face to to sell whatever it is you're trying to get them excited about it's all about your personality even if you have a an awkward one or a very serious one and there's something for everyone you just have to be willing to promote yourself so that might be a tweet that might be an email to your your family and friends like hey this is something I'm working on do you mind sharing it with others they might like it too you got to be willing to self-promote and you got to be willing to be real Nobody wants a phony. Unless you say your YouTube or your podcast is skit-oriented, you're telling a story, be who you are. Be what you are. Someone's going to love it. Yeah, that's so true. Um, And we actually didn't talk about this. You have the podcast, An Album a Day. Um, How did that come about? I had gotten to a point where I was realizing that the content that I desire to make on YouTube, I don't have the manpower to make. I turned off my monetization and I further invested myself in my full-time work as a teacher. So my income is not balling out of control and not being, I believe in paying people for work or at least 
bartering. If you've done something with me, I'm going to find a way to do something on your behalf as well. Uh, because we're all out here trying to do the best we can. So when it got to a point where I had to really look at my long-term financial goals, paying for grad school out of pocket, buying more production equipment so that I can make better music for other people to use in their shows and things, I no longer had the space to afford to pay for someone to edit my videos and things. So I said, okay, you know, you're, you're getting ready to be in your mid-30s and... Um, you can't MV React forever. And I had already retired for the most part from it in 2017. I'm like, what is something that allows me to not show my face, still share my personality, and share just this nerdiness that I have about music? And I'm like, screw it. I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to listen to all the music. Now, before I started recording it, that sounded fun. <laughs> like, that sounded really easy. And I'm like, yeah. I'm a year in at the time of this recording, and I've only done maybe 17 acts because I'm going through the literal, genuine, modern history of every single idol group that has ever existed in South Korea on a mainstream scale. I haven't even hit indie or trot or hip hop, like specifically underground hip hop yet. So Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. Central Standard Time, I take about mm, 10 to 15, sometimes 20 minutes of your time to go through every single album in a group's discography. And the amazing thing about it is I've been exposed to it's been exposed to music I had never heard of that I can hear where the American or European influences are in it. Um, just hearing the progression of how the songwriting has evolved and the quality of production over the years, it's really interesting. I might be in 1999 one, one week, and then the next week I'm in 2014. It's crazy. And then you're getting reacquainted with everything, and there's some something for everybody. When I did Three Racha, the producers from um, Stray Kids, a group who I've not listened to actively yet, um, their fan base flooded in. They're like, oh my gosh, it's so cool that, you know, something spotlighted them and they shared a lot of the episodes and whatnot. That had a huge impact on my show. And then anything concerning Super M has a really huge impact on my show because you're, you're crossing several different fandoms at once. So, uh, shout out to the listeners to that. Shout out to my, my Patreon patrons, the scholars and the student bodies. They are the ones who keep the show going it allows me to be your favorite foreign korean music historian so i really love it yeah that's such a cool like goal to have i feel like it's how a lot of podcasts start too when it's like oh this is a really fun idea and then you're knee deep in it and it's like why did i do this <laughs> yeah, you can't back <laughs> out man. but yeah. I, I love it like it it exhausts me sometimes but the fact that of the matter is i'm not new to podcasting but this has taught me better structure like i had to learn how to depend on having seasons and how many episodes go in a season and how long do you take a break for so I'm grateful for that I really am that is super cool and a super cool idea um and you should go subscribe to it if you're listening to this oh, thank you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and then last question which as everyone is just like how Sailor Moon in the original dub had her Sailor Moon says phrase at the end of every episode what would your like PSA be like Sailor Ashley says. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sailor <laughs> Ashley would say, um, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and do what you want. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> 
I like it. I want to end up putting like all of these PSAs like on my wall because everyone always gives really good advice, and I'm like, man, I need y'all to be my life coaches. No! <laughs> <laughs> um, and where can people find you and your podcasts and your work and everything? You can find a lot of me on multifacetedacg.com. That's M-U-L-T-I-F-A-C-E-T-E-D-A-C-G. You can also find me on Twitter at multifacetedacg. There's also a link within that Twitter bio if you really want to get on the K-pop side of me to my other account, Jinju's Hollywood Fever. I'm on YouTube as multifacetedacg, and you can find multifacetedacg presents an album a day on your favorite podcasting platform. Awesome. That was perfect. It was so like been doing it for point. years. <laughs> yeah, I see. I was like, oh, you on it. <laughs> and of course you can find me. I'm Victoria, aka Miss Old School. It's old school with a K on Twitter and Instagram. And also you can find the podcast at Mooney's Club on Twitter and Mooney's underscore club on Instagram. And we're available wherever you're listening to it right now. And also Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Luminary, Audio Mac, a bunch of other places, YouTube. So yeah. And thank you, Ashley, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for your show. 